Tonight we are in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. We're looking at the influence of the world on the church. And James is certainly dealing with this. His church has been dispersed among the different cities around the Roman Empire. And his concern is, or either he has a direct feed that this has gone on, or he just has a concern that the worldliness in these other cities has affected his people that were in the church. We know the world is always trying to pull us away from God. So tonight we're going to look at the ways that it does and what we can do to make sure that we are not listed as a friend of the world, but a friend of God. We're going to see also how we can, we can extract the world's influence from our lives and become immune to its influence. Last week we are looking at the wisdom of the world. We see that the wisdom of the world will always meet a certain criteria and the wisdom of God will also meet a certain criteria and it's very easy to distinguish one from the other so we can tell which one that we walk in. Let's read here in James chapter 4 and verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasures that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask, do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. There's a desire for pleasure or the flesh that's in every person. It is there. We like things that are nice. For some, the desires for pleasure are more carnal than others. But still, there are desires for pleasure and desires that will pull you from the things of God. We know that back in the garden, it was desires for things that didn't have that pulled Adam and Eve away from God to, to begin with. It was not that big a deal. It was just a piece of fruit. But it came from a tree that God had said, don't eat off of this tree. But many times, people are looking at things in the world then saying, how can God be against this? This is a good thing. And so they partake of it, even though God says, don't do it. So we're, we'll see some of this that goes on. He says, there are the wars that are among believers come because of these desires. He's not talking about wars that come between unbelievers. He's talking about those that come between the believers. And it's the result of carnality. In 1 Corinthians, he deals with the carnality issue. In chapter 3, in verse 3, it says, For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Just a few chapters later, we see the results of this. In 1 Corinthians 5, 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. So the... The carnality of chapter 3 led to the worldliness and the things that Paul even said the world would even think about doing, they were doing. It's the result of carnality. If the devil can get you to become carnal, he can get you to do things that otherwise you would not have done. And he's a, he's very patient that way. He's willing to let things just wear down slowly. People are always bent towards carnality. That's because of the flesh that is in us. God is bent towards love. That is his essence. And carnality and love are on opposite fields. When we get 
in the area of carnal, we love ourselves. When we get in the area of God's love, we love others. Now, in this, this verse here, let me read this for you again. In verse 2, you lust and do not have. Notice there's a period there. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. And there's a period there. You fight and war. And then there's another period. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. Now I've done this once before in the area of scripture where we showed you that the punctuation, changing the punctuation really changes the meaning. And the reason you can do this is because there is no punctuation in the original manuscripts. All punctuation is inserted by the translators. So you could actually italicize all punctuation. It's, it's not there. There are a few places where this has changed. The New American Standard Bible, the NASB, and some other ones, they change the punctuation and it seems to change the meaning. It certainly makes it more understandable if you read it this way. Here's the NASB. You lust and do not have, comma, so you commit murder, period. And you are envious and cannot obtain, comma, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, to me, that makes a whole lot more sense. That flows. What was there before just seemed to be kind of choppy. And James is not writing in a choppy style. Now, the New American Standard is not the only one who's done this. The New Living Translation puts it this way. You want what you don't have, comma, so you scheme and kill to get it, period. You are jealous of what others have, comma, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them, period. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. The ESV, you desire and do not have, comma, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, comma, so you fight and quarrel, period. You do not have because you do not ask. The Williams translation, you desire things and cannot have them, comma, and so you commit murder. You covet things but cannot acquire them, comma, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have them because you do not ask for them. Now, I can keep going. There's a few other translations I could have written in here. This is not just a, a one person's idea that just to change this up. It was certainly one person's idea to, to change it up the other way, but whoever was thinking of these other translations saw it fitting better in this way. I just think it makes a whole lot more sense to see you lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. These are the, this is what you do, this is the results of it. So there's a dissatisfaction in believers. We become dissatisfied with what we have. When God, when God gives a blessing, you are satisfied. There's a satisfaction that comes from a blessing. There's a satisfaction that comes when we pursue something that we have a goal for and we have to work for it to obtain it. But once we obtain it, then we, we're glad for it. You look at the uh, young people today and it, it's uh, very common for, for people in some households that when the child hits 16, we buy them a car. And depending upon... How, what your family status is. Some people, that's a brand new car and some people, it's an old car and some people, <laughs> a barely run car. Other people, it's no car. You get your own car when you get your own job. <laughs> and that's how you, you kind of look at that. But the, the people, it seems, that have things handed to them and they didn't have to do anything for it, don't really respect it. 
they don't they're not satisfied with it. yeah my parents gave me this thing but it's an old jalopy it's 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 not really what i want there's not a satisfaction that's there but when you have to scrimp and save and go to a job and earn that money and then find the car that you want and then put the money into it oh boy there's a satisfaction that comes with that and it doesn't come other ways there's a blessing that comes from god we understand god gave this to us God gave it to us because He loves us. A lot of times when people receive those gifts from parents, they're not so convinced of the love that is there from the parent. They're more seen as, uh, well, this is what you should do. This is what's due me. And there's not the respect. There's not the uh, look, looking upon that as a blessing. And our flesh nature does this. Our flesh nature gets to the place where I should have this. God should provide this for me. God should do this. Other people should do this. Uh, you, you look at people, they don't even have to pay rent. They don't have to pay utilities. They don't have to buy their food. Other people buy their food. Other people pay their rent. Other people do their utilities. And they just expect that other people ought to keep on going and doing this. And they get upset when it doesn't happen. <laughs> and we're, we are out there and we're thinking, boy, I would like it if somebody paid my rent, paid my electric and bought my food. But uh, actually, we wouldn't. We kind of like the uh, the part of being able to go out there and to be able to be a blessing instead of always having to be blessed by other people. So, there's a dissatisfaction that can come into believers. And this is just a tactic of the enemy. This is what he did with Adam and Eve. He made them dissatisfied with paradise. Well, it could be better. I know it's really, really good the way it is, but you know, it could be better. You could be as gods. You could be knowing good and evil. I mean, these are things you don't know. These are things you're not walking in. And you could, and you become dissatisfied. But when God gives a blessing, you are satisfied, especially when you see it as a blessing and not something that is earned or deserved. When we receive things from God and we see them as earned or deserved, we don't see them as the blessing that they are. We're not as satisfied with them. But when our flesh gets something, you're never satisfied. When we, if you see the little kids in the stores and they kick and they scream because they want something that's within reach and so mom or dad gets it for them and gives it to them and how long are they satisfied? <laughs> it isn't long. They're going to find something else that they want and they're going to kick and they're going to scream for that one too. Because when our flesh gets something, it's never satisfied. <coughs> And when your flesh is denied, you are angry, you're jealous, you're envious. And this is the condition that he's talking about. We see something, my flesh desires it, I can't get it, so I'm angry. I'm upset, I'm jealous, I'm envious. I want that thing and I'll do anything I have to to get it. In Proverbs 30 and verse 14 There is a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. The leech has two daughters, give and give. There are three things that are never satisfied. Four, never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not satisfied with water and the fire never says enough. Now, I read these in the New King James and it It is tough to make some sense out of it, so I went over to some other translations. I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation. Verse 14, They have teeth like swords and fangs like knives that devour the poor from the earth and the needy from among 
humanity. The leech has two suckers. They cry out more, more. That made a little more sense. It almost looks like there's two daughters. The first one's give and the second one's give. <laughs> That's not quite what it is. They cry out more, more. There are three things that are never satisfied. No four that never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, the thirsty desert, and the blazing fire. Now, I was looking at these four things. And if you summarize these these four, the first one, he says, is that which takes life, brings it to the grave. The second is that which stops it from ever beginning, the barren womb. The third, that which absorbs everything given and shows absolutely nothing for it. The desert receives water and maybe some things spring up shortly, but then they're gone and it stays a desert. And the fourth is that which turns everything good into nothing. The fire goes through and it burns everything up. They never say enough. I'm sure you could probably make up a list of some more things that never seem to be satisfied, never have enough. But he left it with these four things here. Now he says there's a failure to receive. First off, you don't ask. The reason you don't have is because you don't ask. Remember when David took Bathsheba and God said, look, I gave you all these things. If that wasn't enough for you, ask. Don't go over there and take something. Just ask me. Let's have a conversation on this thing. Now, I don't know that if he said, I want more wives, God would have said, let's go ahead. But he's saying, first off, you don't have because you don't ask. And we need to, we need to change that. He um, goes on here. Let me, let me read the rest of that passage again. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. So first off, you don't have because you don't ask. Secondly, you don't have because you ask with wrong motives. You've got the wrong motivation going on here. And third, you do not have because you don't ask in faith. Now, when he says don't ask in faith, doesn't mean that you're not believing something. It means you haven't looked at the Word of God to be able to build faith on something that God has said. God, you've said this. I see this is true. And you're, you're basing your faith on that. People aren't going through and doing that. They just say, well, I want that. They're going over there with their flesh. A lot of Christians do this with their flesh. Well, I want that. I think God would want me to have that. And therefore, I'm just going to believe that that's going to be mine. We can even do this for things that God wants us to have, like healing. I know that God wants me healed, but I can just say, well, I ought to have that. I deserve to have that. I can say all kinds of wrong motivations on this. That's not the godly motivation. And I'm not going after it the right way. And so that's why we don't have just because God wants you to have something, if I don't base my faith on something that God said, I don't have the right kind of faith. I don't have the God kind of faith. It's not going to come about. So he says you don't have because first off, you don't ask. Secondly, you ask with the wrong motives. And third, you don't ask in faith. The New Living Bible translates verse 3 this way. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. The ESV reads this way. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. We're not asking for things to help the kingdom of God. We're not asking for things because uh, what the will of God is. I'm asking for things because of what my will is. And I'm trying to pawn it off that, well, of course, God wants this or whatever it might be. 
But God knows that. He can see through all those things. Don't try and hide it. Don't try and cover it up. Verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We all know that verse real well. Let's see the, the meaning of the verses that go on before. Now, this adultery that is speaking of, he says adulterers and adulteresses, is uh, this is adultery that is with other gods. Most times that you see adultery referred to in the New Testament, it is referring to literal adultery. This is one of those few times that it's actually talking about figurative adultery. It's It's looking at them going after other gods as being unfaithful to God. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? This is going against God. This is this is doing things against the will of God. You are making yourself an enemy of God when you try to become a friend of the world. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Can't be any more plain than that, can it? If you want to be a friend of the world, you are going to make yourself an enemy of God. I said this to, before you, before with you on other, other topics, but whenever I see the news media all gang up on one particular person, that gets my attention. That person is probably doing something good. That, that person is probably doing something where they are not a friend of the world. And not being a friend of the world, that makes you not an enemy of God. We have to, Stay away from being a friend of the world. I look for people who are willing to stand up to the world and the pressure of the world and not give in to being a friend of the world. That tells me they got something going on. I may not like everything about them, but that tells me they have something good that's going on. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Now, verse 4, let me read verse 4 here for you from the New American Standard Bible. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Enmity may not always mean something to us, but the New American Standard Bible will put it into for you as hostility. There's other translations that also translate it that way as well. Now, the spirit's jealousy is not... Um, an, an excessive jealousy is not a wrong jealousy. Just because people are jealous doesn't mean that they're wrong. Jealousy is not always a bad emotion. Sometimes we think, well, that person is jealous. Well, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be. God has, has called himself, I'm a jealous God. He does not want to see his people going over there and flirting with other idols, going over there and pursuing other things. He wants them being true and because he's going to be true to them. And he's used that example quite often. But it's not an excessive jealousy. It's not like some of those movies they make out the excessive jealousy and they start turning into murderers and, and stalkers and all sorts of other things. That's not what God does. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. That spirit is on the inside is going to yearn. No, we need to come back over here. No, we need to go after this. 
And when I continue to pursue the, the friendship with the world, I am resisting the leading of the Spirit. I am resisting that yearning that the Spirit of God has to go after God. And I'm saying no to it in order to become a friend of the world. This will have implications. This will have an effect upon me as a, as a Christian. This will have uh, an effect upon my spirit being. It cannot just go on in a vacuum and just happen. No, when I become a friend of the world, when I adopt the things of the world, it will taint me. It will move me away from God and move me towards being a friend of the world. And these are things we don't want to do. A carnal person is a prideful person. Any carnal Christian is a prideful Christian. And we know what God says about those that are prideful. He resists them. You cannot be a friend of God and be resisted by God. You are walking away from that friendship. If I am going to go after carnality, if I'm going to do the things that I want to do, that my flesh wants to do, that my spirit is saying, no, don't go this way, don't do these things. Carnal person is a prideful person. A spiritual person is a humble person. A spiritual person is a humble person. Pride and humility. We know the difference between these things. This is, um, the more I have learned this aspect of the things of God, the more I have uh, tried to, to even change some of the things that I was, I might have been willing to do. But one of, one of the things I have always stood against, you know, we look at the idea with, with marriage, and, uh, certainly, I would never go out there and marry people of the, of the same sex. I know there's some churches out there that are going, we will not do that. I don't care what kind of pressure they, they put on it. It's not a direction that we will go. Because of some of the pressure that has gone on, I have made it a, a stance for myself that I don't hire myself out to do marriages. It's, if somebody outside the church wants me to do a marriage, my general answer is no. You'll have to convince me that I, there's a reason that I need to get involved and to do this. And that's only happened, I think, uh, twice. Most times I said no and I stay with it. I just didn't uh, go out there. But just because a person's in the church doesn't mean that I'll do that marriage either. And if, and if anybody ever wants to take me to task and say, well, you won't do this homosexual marriage, so therefore we can take a lawsuit against you. No, I've refused to do some marriages of people that either were in the church or had been in the church. One of those things is if people decide that they want to live together. And we had a couple that was here in church. In fact, the uh, one guy was on the, uh, he was involved in, in uh, uh, this is years ago. I don't think many people even know about him, but he was involved in the sound and uh, just all of a sudden moved in with his girlfriend. And uh, they had different situations that were going on. And they felt like it was that's the only option that they had. Well, no, it wasn't the only option that you had. You could have talked to somebody. It was going on, I think, for about two weeks before I got wind of it. I sat him down and talked to him about it. And while we didn't feel like we had any choice, I said, well, you need to fix this. You need to, we can help you. We'll do some things for you. They didn't want to fix it. They didn't want to change it. Uh, they wanted me to get them married. I said, no. I said, I won't marry you until you guys move out. And we've had that a couple of other times. People say, will you come and marry us? And they've already shacked up together. I won't do it. I'm not saying that you can't get married. I'm saying that I won't be the one doing it. (laughs) Some of those, they've gone out to a justice of the peace. They've done different things. Uh, They found somebody else. 
another minister who would do it. And I'm not trying to point fingers, well, that minister shouldn't have done it. I don't say anything about it. I have to answer for what I'm supposed to do. And I, I won't do that. Because, uh, in fact, this one person that I was telling you about, I told him, I says, look, if you go out and you get married and don't fix this for the rest of your married life, this is always going to hang over your head. You never addressed it. You can't fix it once you get married. Because then you can't separate. You need to fix it now. Well, that marriage didn't last. They did go off and they got married and it didn't last. And, and um, they divorced and they both eventually got married to somebody else. And I don't even remember whether they had kids or anything like that involved. But those kind of things can, can go on. Uh, we have to make sure that we do what we're supposed to do. But you see, the world is always influencing us. The world is always trying to influence the church. And the world is trying to influence the church. Well, you should just marry people just because they're in love with each other regardless of, of uh, other things like that. You know, just because the people aren't living with each other doesn't mean that I'll do the marriage either. If I don't feel that God's behind it, I won't do it. If I'm not telling them they can't get married. I'm not telling them that they're, they're doomed to fail. I'm just telling you I'm not the one to do it. Somebody else will go out there and do it. And that's, uh, that's the way they can go. But the world will constantly try and put pressure on, on people to do so. We saw that in the, this country with the bakeries. The bakeries that were uh, pressured to, um, to bake a cake for something that they didn't want to bake. He, they gave them, here, here's this person over there. They will bake the cake for you. We just won't bake it. That's not good enough. No, we have to make you make it. We're not satisfied that somebody else will do it. <laughs> this, that's not right. And anybody with any kind of sense knows that's not wisdom. That's not wisdom from a God from above. That's wisdom from the world. And it causes the problems that uh, the previous chapter said it would cause. We have to make sure that we operate the way that God says. But once we start compromising certain things and we walk away from the wisdom of God, God says, thou shalt not do certain things. Keep your behavior ordered in this way. But once I say, well, my wisdom is better than God's and I know that I can do this even though God says I shouldn't. Then in the previous chapter, we have stepped away from what is godly wisdom into what is worldly wisdom. And the next step is where we're at here in chapter 4. And that is where we're becoming friends of the world. We see this even in the political circles. People that have become judges. People who were judges who judged according to the Constitution, who judged according to the things of God all of a sudden got into a higher position and started rubbing elbows with certain ones and they said, if you make decisions based on this way, go this way, then you'll have more of this going on. We'll have a, a, a sweeter pot at the end of the rainbow for you if you go along this way. And there are people who changed and they went from this is the way they were to now they're completely different. There are not many people in the area of the judicial system who have stuck to their guns all the way on through. But there are, there are those that are out there. There are only a handful of ones on the Supreme Court that I have any respect for. Even some of the new ones. I've looked at the way that they've gone and I said, this, this is not the way that, uh, that you advertised yourself. This is not the way that you showed yourself going on up. Um, Clarence Thomas is, uh, is one of those ones that I've held in high respect. This man has not changed from the time he got in there to the time he is now. He holds the same, I don't mean he hasn't changed, hasn't grown. Certainly he has grown, but um, he, he's, he's held on to these things. Judge Scalia, Judge Alito, these were ones that they didn't change. But I know that there's pressure on each one of them to change their mind, to move in their decisions. And there's other ones in lesser courts, the federal courts. 
and the pressure is on them as well. I look for people who get under the pressure and don't change. Those are people that are not trying to become friends of the world. They're going to be friends with God. And that's more important to them than other things. But anyway, enough on on that. But the spirit inside of us has that jealousy that's there. No, no, this is where we need to go. We need to be pursuing God. Don't be pursuing friendship with the world. But I keep going after the world. I keep doing the things of the world. I keep compromising the things that I'm doing. That, well, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do this. I know that God said he, we shouldn't, but I think, I think I know better. I think this is actually going to work out okay. And we go ahead and we do it. We've changed these things. It's not going to help us. We're going to be moving more into the carnal area, which means we're more prideful. You look at it. These people that have changed what they once stood for, for the Word of God. If you come against those things and say, the Word of God says this, you will find a very prideful person who will come after you with everything that the previous verses just talked about. They will come after you with all that anger. They will come after you with all that other, all that other stuff to take. Uh, I want your approval and I will steal it from you. I will take it from you and I will kill those who, and they don't all get to that point, <laughs> but eventually they will. And we see people who took to the streets in this country and in other countries, took to the streets to kill because you don't accept you because you don't look at, because you won't do these things like I think you ought to be doing them. And that's where they go. God warns us about it. In Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He's going to freely give us. He, God wants to give us stuff. But the enemy wants to try and get us to think, no, God's trying to keep things from you. Worldliness produces pride. This is why the devil loves to get people into worldliness. He will do everything he can to get them into worldliness. People who one time didn't pursue certain kinds of music. They left secular music off of their radios because it would promote worldliness in them. Suddenly they start to soften up. Well, I'm just going to do these kind of, these kind of songs. Well, you know, those kind of songs, they aren't so bad. Maybe I can expand out to these, these particular songs over here. And they uh, they go over there. There's even some Christian songs I won't listen to. Now, I think I told you before, I don't generally have a Christian station on my truck when I'm driving around. Very seldom do I have a Christian station on. The only time I put it on is when my wife's in the car or other people are in the car, I put it on because they generally don't like the music that I listen to. I listen to music that has no words. I like it with no words. <laughs> it's just music. I like classical music. I'll play classical music all day long. I have classical music on my phone. I have all kinds. I have hours and hours and hours of classical music. I can just put on classical music and listen to exactly the symphonies and the, the concertos that I want to listen to. And there's not a, not a word in it. No, no uh, words that, well, what are they actually singing here? <laughs> Don't have to be concerned about any of that. That's just something that I, I like to do. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't born liking classical music. My dad liked classical music. I didn't like my dad's music, but eventually it grew on me. And uh, the last number of years, and when uh, he and I would be driving around in the car, I would be having the classical music on because I had uh, stations. I had several classical music stations that I could get in my truck, and I'd be playing them, and then he would tell me different stories that he had as he was uh, growing up or as he was going through schooling or uh, how he would sneak into the... Uh, uh, I forgot the the place where the Philadelphia Orchestra would play. Um, one right out of my head. But <laughs> the Academy, the Academy of Music, you know, he would sneak into there and, 
and get into to hear just some of the the music that was being played or uh, he would know one of the doormen and they would let him into a certain spot in the in the place and he would tell me the stories or uh, we were listening one time Beethoven's third was playing that's not one of my favorites my favorite of all Beethoven's is Beethoven's sixth that is my absolute favorite of all his symphonies seventh and eighth are, are neck and neck for the the one behind it five and nine are the ones behind that one two and three I can't take care to leave them uh, they're all right, uh, but I, I don't. I don't sit there and listen to them all the time. I have them; they're on my phone. I can play them anytime I want to. But we were playing Beethoven's Third, and he was telling me as we were playing it. He says, "Yeah, I memorized every, every um, bit of the music in that uh, for I think one of the music classes that he had. He had to memorize that. So that's what he did was Beethoven's Third. I asked him why he picked that. He didn't give me. I don't remember him giving me a real good reason. It's just uh, it's one that he picked. He liked Beethoven, and he <laughs> he picked that one. <laughs> but anyway. Once we start to compromise, once we start to bring in some of the things from the world, the devil knows if I can get enough worldliness in you, we'll begin to move you in the area of pride. Once we get you in the area of pride, God resists you. Instead of having grace, you uh, you get that resistance from God. And we don't walk in the things of Romans 8.32. Let's go back and read this again. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. People do not start off becoming a friend of the world by saying, I'm going to become a friend of the world. Most time people go into becoming a friend of the world. I don't want to distance other people. I don't want other people to think I am high and mighty. I'm holier than thou. And so they begin to, to step down some of their things that they would do. And uh, they don't really realize the worldliness that they are picking up. I know I've shared this with you before, but Charles Stanley uh, in his pulpit uh, gave an example, and I heard this decades ago, but it's always stuck with me. It's just one of those things that I can still see him doing it. I, can, I watched it on TV, and, and he just has a lot of wisdom in the things that he did. But uh, if you've seen Charles Stanley, you know that his stage is fairly high up. He's got a number of steps to get down. If, if I remember, it's like seven or eight uh, steps he's got that you got to step down to get. And so he would be up there on the top step, and he would talk about people uh, just even in the area of missionary dating. And uh, they would have uh, a heathen person they decided they had an attraction for. They're up there in the things of God. They're down there in the things of the world. And they say, I need to help this person. And so they stay up where they are. And they reach down to try and pull this person up. But this person won't, won't reach them where they are. And so they take a step down. And then they, they still can't get to them. So they take another step down. And he said, and then they take another step down. And pretty soon they're on the same level as the person that they say they're trying to help. They still have the view that I'm here to help that person. And do not realize that they have taken on as much of the world as the person they're trying to help. And they're doing the things that at one point they would have known, I should not do this, I will not do this. Now they are freely partaking of it, still thinking, I'm a friend of God, and they become a friend of the world. It was a great example. Never have forgotten that one. I don't think there's a better one out there on it. It's not my example. It was, uh, it was Brother Stanley's. And uh, just an excellent, excellent job to portray what people do. And this is what this is talking about. We become friends of the world, even though I still think I'm a friend of God. But inside me, it says, or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, this could be speaking of man's condition of envy. This could be speaking that we're in a place where we're envying, we're jealous of what other people have, and that there's more grace. Grace is in an abundant measure. 
so that we won't be ruled by that condition. All we have to do is separate ourselves and repent. And there's more grace than all the things we got involved with that pulled us out. It could be speaking of God's journey for our undivided loyalty. And God's grace is there to keep that separation between us and Him. In Romans 5.20 it says, Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And so there's never too much sin for God. God's grace is always greater. So it's the, it is the believer's attitude that is the main factor here, not his sin. It is the believer's attitude that is the main factor here, not his sin. The enemy always wants to focus on the sin. Look at what you have done. Look how evil you are now. God won't take you back. But God's not concerned about the sin. He's concerned about the attitude. The two thieves on the cross. One had a bad attitude. The other had a good attitude. The one with the good attitude, I'll see you in paradise. The one who had the bad attitude, we're not seeing him in paradise. He's not going to be, be going over there. It's the believer's attitude. I've got to keep my attitude right. If my attitude is one of humility, it does not matter how much sin is there, grace is greater. If my attitude is that of pride, what do you mean I can't do that? What do you mean you're holding me accountable for that? That was a good thing. I did something. This would just bless my life. Look at all the good things that happened because I went out there and did this thing. God doesn't look at it that way. Our attitude is what determines if we will be the recipient of God's grace or His opposition. It is our attitude that will determine that. Make sure you stay on the side of grace, not on the side of the opposition. Verse 7, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now we all know this verse, but this is the context of it. This is talking about someone who is going through the battle of being a friend with the world or a friend of God. If you're going to resist the devil, you're going to resist becoming a friend of the world. You're going to resist carnality. You're going to resist being prideful. If you resist those things, this is, this is where we need to be. Let's read it again. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We've got to get to the place where submission to God is the first thing. I cannot just resist the stuff of the world. I've got to submit to God. But once the devil begins to lure me in, what he will get me to do is to not submit to the things of God. Adam and Eve didn't submit to the command of God, which was, don't eat. From the tree. That's it. The one tree. Don't eat from that tree. That was the only command. And the devil is able to get in and deceive and to pull it and get through desire, get them to go after that one because he challenged their submission and they decided I'm not going to submit to God. People who got into rebellion under Moses, their submission is what was challenged. And decided not to submit to the things they were supposed to submit to. David, when he got into trouble, didn't submit to the things he was supposed to submit to. And so many others. Paul, all the time that he was persecuting the church, didn't submit to the things he was supposed to be submitted to. And when he came to the point in the road, God said, submit. He said, okay. (laughs) And it didn't matter how much sin he had done, the grace was there, but he just had to have that change in attitude. And he didn't. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
Now, who starts this process? Apparently, we do. Draw near to God. I've got to be moving towards Him and He'll draw near to me. Now, He made the, the motions. He sent His Son. He gave us the opportunity. He sent His, 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 uh, His grace towards us. I've got to receive that. I've got to move toward Him. Sinners, God doesn't come over there and just say, hey, look, let's go. I've got to make a move over to God. He who believes, he who's going to come to God, I've got to first off believe that He is. I gotta believe that he is. These, these believers have to make, or these people want to become believers. You gotta make that first move. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This has reference to what the priest would do when the priest would come in to make the sacrifice for the people. The first thing they would do is come over to the, to the water and wash their hands. They had to wash their hands. They had to become, get, get rid of all the outside stuff that was there. We can't have that outside Things on. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. I'm going to read another translation of that in just a moment. But the resistance here is more than just individual things sent or battles waged. We're not just looking at resist the devil. Well, here's the temptation. Resist the devil. We're not just looking at a single battle. We're not just looking at a single temptation. We're looking at the war. God is looking at the whole war and we need to resist. It's the entire war and the devil's patience to keep continually trying to pull us over to the world side. Just because I resisted it today doesn't mean that tomorrow he's not going to try and pull something else in. Pull me in a little bit. Just get you to talk a little bit different. Get your language to be coursed up. Just get you gossiping a little bit. Get you to be thinking a little bit differently. Get you to whatever it is. He just wants you to get a little bit more like the world today. And then tomorrow we'll get a little bit more like the world. And then the next day a little bit more like the world. And pretty soon you're very much like the world. But it just happened a little bit each day. He's saying you got to resist this. But don't, don't give in to anything that he's trying to pull you over to. Because this will keep you from drawing close to God. This will keep you from drawing near to him. Now, outward sins come as a result of inward sins. We put that in your outline for you. Outward sins come as a result of inward sins. So when he says, cleanse your hands, this is the outward sins. Purify your hearts, that's the inward sins. I've got to get rid of the things on the inside so they don't come on the outside. Jesus says you get so concerned about the stuff on the outside, but it's the stuff on the inside that's really going to cause you problems. you got to cleanse the cup on the inside and the outside. You're not concerned about cleansing the outside, but the inside is filled with filth. He says, you wouldn't like that. You wouldn't drink out of that. I wouldn't drink out of a cup like that. Cleanse your hands. That's the outward sins. Purify your hearts. That's the inward sins. This command is to New Testament priests. I just put NT there. That's why just a little short little spot. This is command. This command is to the New Testament priests. There were Old Testament priests. We're now the New Testament priests. We're supposed to cleanse our hands. Get rid of that stuff. Now, let me read this to you in another translation. This is from the Weist translation. This is verses 7 through 10. Be subject with implicit obedience to God at once and once for all. Stand immovable against the onset of the devil and he will flee from you. There's an onset. He's coming at you with everything he's got. Stand immovable. Don't be moved. Don't be shaken off. Don't just compromise. Well, it's just one thing over here. Don't do that. Draw near to God 
and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, O sinners, and purify your hearts, O double-minded. Be sorrowful and distressed and grieve and weep audibly over your sins. That's the one I really wanted you to see because it's sometimes uh, a little blind to us as we, we read it. What's he talking about when he says in the New King James, humble yourselves, I'm sorry, let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to gloom. In other words, be sorrowful and distressed and grieve and weep audibly over your sins. Let your laughter be turned to sadness and your joy to gloominess. you got to see, I have been slowly moved in the side of worldliness, slowly moved in the carnality. I am accepting things of the world as normal for God. You need to wake up and look at this and say, no, and there ought to be a sadness that comes from that. A lot of times people, they have a, have a joy with this sort of thing. There's a gladness is there. They'll walk into a church. Hi, this, uh, some man will walk into a church. Hi, this is my boyfriend. There it is. People will walk into church that, that are, that are shacked up with each other, not married. They're, they're not trying to hide it. No, we just live together. No, he said, you gotta be looking at these things and what you looked at with joy and with gladness. Now you need to look at this thing and say, wait a minute. I have allowed the world to take over my thinking on this and there ought to be a sadness that is there. But there's not with a lot of these folks. They just, they just go on. Well, I think that's old fashioned thinking. We don't think that way anymore. Because the worldliness has gotten in. You cannot allow the worldliness to get into your thinking, to get into your being, and not get moved into the area of pride toward God. Get moved into the area of pride toward God, God will resist you. That's how it works. That's what he's saying. This is what James is telling them. You all are getting out there in all parts of the kingdom. You're going to have idolatry available to you all over the place. You're going to have sexual opportunities like you never had before. You didn't have them over here in Jerusalem. You're going to have them in these places where you're at. You're going to see carnality. You're going to see people doing things in the area of relationship with men and women that you hadn't seen here in Jerusalem. And you're going to begin to think this is normal. This is just what we ought to do. Do not do it. Don't don't conform. Stand up against it. Don't let the worldliness come in because if you bring that worldliness in, it will result in carnality. And you will become prideful to God and anyone else who comes along and says, no, don't do that. Don't move in that particular area. Don't go in that direction. Nathan was sent to David. David got involved in a sexual sin. Nathan was sent to him and he, he went to him and, and just presented a story and got David all riled up. David, you're the man. Because if he just came after him and said, what you're doing isn't right, David might have gotten mad at him. Probably would have gotten mad at him. What happened to Herod when John came after him and said, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be having your brother's wife. He got mad. Locked him up. His brother's wife, he wanted, she wanted him dead. And uh, that's eventually what, what happened there. Because people... They get angry when you come against and say, that's not what the Bible wants you to do. And there's a reason for it. God's not just trying to keep us out of things. He's not try, trying to keep us, well, you know, he doesn't want you to go through being drunk or, and having the, uh, that awful language always coming out of your mouth or having all kinds of anger. He's not just trying to keep it. He, he said, these things will get in. They will change you. 
And we're talking about something that's eternal here. This is, this is gonna disrupt your e- eternal reward, where you're going. I remember, uh, Brother Hagen was talking about, uh, one of his relatives that he uh, didn't pray out of death. And God contended, contended with him and said, he's the most ready to come home. Let him come. He was the most ready. If you waited a little bit longer, he uh, may have swung back the other way and not been as ready. God says, all right, this isn't the best, but he's the most ready. He is to come home. Let him come home now in this condition than uh, than to be going down a, a, a wrong way. God is concerned about that. He wants us to make it, on, make it home. He wants us to make it home in the best condition that we can. But the world is trying to pull us in to being like it is. It wants us to think like it does. It wants us to react like it does. It wants us to look at the news and see the videos that they want to portray and have the conclusion that they want us to have. I refuse to have those conclusions. If they're leading me to have a conclusion, I automatically have the opposite one until I hear more more things. I know whatever they're trying to get me to conclude, I know it's wrong. And they know it's wrong. But they're trying to put this off on me for some reason. How many times have we seen this go on where the news media is trying to portray a certain thing and we find out they altered the video evidence, they altered it, whatever, they altered it so that people would think what they wanted because they want you to draw these conclusions. They want you to have this anger because if you do that, you are adopting the worldliness. If you bring the worldliness in, you'll bring the carnality in. If you bring the carnality in, you bring the pride in. If you bring the pride in, you bring the resistance from God to you. God says, don't become a friend of the world. You don't want to go that direction. Stay in the area of being a friend of God. He says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. He will lift you up. Well, God's not doing it fast enough. Philippians 2 and verse 8. And being found in the appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How many examples do we have, not just with Jesus, but here Jesus goes to the cross. Does He have to do this? What's the world say? Stand up for yourself. Speak for yourself. Don't just be quiet. Speak for yourself. Defend yourself. But He went there as silent as a lamb. How many times did Paul get beaten and was silent about it? Because this is what God told him to do. This is what was needed for the for the situation. Don't do what the world says to do. Do what God says to do. First Peter 5, 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. This is something that I have to do. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. People are always going to try and stir you up, get your pride going, get you to stand up for what's right, get you to stand up for what's yours. God says, don't you be doing it. Keep yourself humble before God. If you'll keep yourself humble, I'll lift you up when it's time. He says in when it's due time. I put this, I think I put this in your outline for you. You may be walking in the pride of, well, I'll get that there in a minute. If humility is important to God, so must it be to us. If humility is important to God, so must it be to us. If I'm going to be a friend of God, I've got to take on those things that He considers to be important. And if God says humility is important, I've got to take that on. If he says being a friend of the world is an enemy, it's a, it's a bad thing for you, it's an enemy to your spiritual walk, then I've got to look at it that way. And I've got to make sure I don't become like the world. I don't take on the, the friendliness of, of the world. I don't want their approval. 
I don't want them to say, oh, that a boy. We don't need these, these things. I put this in your outline for you. You may be walking in the harvest of pride seeds sown in the past. Right now, you might be walking in the harvest of pride seeds that you have sown in the past, but plant good seed now and the harvest will come in due time. That's what this verse is saying. That he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourself now. Those pride seeds you sowed, they may still be bringing a harvest for a little while, but you keep sowing that that humble seed. You keep going in that humble direction. And that harvest is going to be coming in too. Just because you started humbling, I've been walking in pride for years. But today I, I humbled myself, where's my harvest? <laughs> there, there may be more coming because of the pride things that we had sown. But just stay with the humility. And in due time, you will be exalted. To become friends with the world is to view its wisdom as higher than God's. And your life will take on the fruit of the wisdom that you decided to value. You cannot make holy ways and you cannot make holy the ways and the views of the world. You can't make them holy. What the world does, there's nothing holy about it. They are against God. They don't just need tweaking. I don't just gotta tweak some of the things the world will make them right. No. Don't be, don't be trying to tweak it. Get rid of those things. Christian views on dating, marriage, lifestyle, preferences, gender, abortion, the beginning of life, the origin of life, creation, truth, the Bible, the need for church, fellowship, drinking, music, worship, respect, loyalty, humility, faithfulness, selfishness, gifts of the Spirit, healing, Death all have been changed by the things of the world we let into our homes. What we watch on TV, what we listen to, what we read, and even in our conversations. These all affect these things. Not The list I gave you may have been a, a number of things on it, but that's not inclusive. That's not everything. There's still more that's, that's out there. But people, the, what we expect out of the dating relationship. I mean, you look at the TV movies anymore, and people go on a date... And it's expected that after the first or second date they act like married people. That's expected anymore. And and people have conversations about that. People get out there with worldly friends and they all have conversations about this is the way that it ought to go. We're not staying with the way that, that God has said. We're not staying with the way that God has said with, with marriage. It's not going to stop here with just marrying people of the same sex. You're going to have you're going to see uh, uh, adults marrying children. You're going to see uh, adults marrying their dogs and their cats and whatever else that they decide that they, they want to dream up. People can come up with incredibly corrupt things. We have to make sure that we stay clear of it. Don't let the world's view of all these things change you. Many no longer stand for things that God calls important because the world has pointed its finger and said change. Make sure when the world points its finger at you, you don't change. No, I'm going to stay with the things that the Word of God says is, is right. So who would God say you are more of a friend to? The world? Your friends and family? Or to Him? Well, Father, we have seen James' heart on this. He is surely trying to show His, his people the importance of staying free from being mixed up with the world 
not adopting their way of thinking, not adopting their wisdom, staying with the wisdom of God. Even though the world may reject it, even though so many people that are around them are saying, that's not, that's outdated stuff. You shouldn't be sticking with things like that. He's telling them, stay with what you know to be true. Here's what God's wisdom is like. This is what it yields. Here's what the world's wisdom is like. This is what it yields. Don't become a friend of the world. Don't be accepting of their wisdom. Because in the end, you will reap the harvest that the world is there to reap. But we want to reap the harvest that comes from the seeds of humility and the exaltation that comes because we follow your way. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Any comments, questions, or did I leave anything off? I had a few blanks on there. Just one blank. Um, uh-huh. I did leave that one off. Look at that. Laughter to morning is a call out of hypocrisy. The hypocrisy is simply, I believe, I say I'm a, I'm a servant of God, and yet I'm doing things that are of the world. And I'm, I'm boastful of them. These people who will come in and they say, I, the word, how can you do this and be a Christian? Well, that's, that's old, old thinking on that anymore. We don't uh, we don't look at it that way. Uh, they have a change of marriage. Uh, I, I just get amazed at some of the things that people will do, and just, and just not even try and hide it, not even try and cover it up. I mean, I'm not saying covering it up is good, I'm, but I'm saying they're so out in the open anymore that this is what we do. Back in the Old Testament, remember there was a time when um, uh, the oh, I forget the name of the priest, but um, the children of Israel were lured into sexual immorality by the women of Moab. And so much so, he got so comfortable with it, that one man actually brought the Moabite girl home. And the priest saw that and got so upset, took a spear and drove them both through with the spear, killed them both. And God said, I like that. <laughs> I, I like that. What was that? He was zealous for the Lord. Yeah, I, I, I like that. He took on my zeal for this but they had gotten so comfortable with this that they I'm not trying to hide this you just bring this right on in here and that's how we're getting even even today and other times in history as well it's not like it's unique to today it's just uh, we have no no remorse uh, I, I, don't, I don't care no he says you got to stop laughing about these things that you're doing and let it become mourning because that's what it should be. You should be mourning. You should be sad that you have got pulled into this much sin and are carefree about it. He says, no, that's a hypocrisy stand because I am, I'm here laughing. Oh, bless God. Glory to God. Isn't God good? And I'm doing all these things. No, he said, that's hypocrisy. Don't be walking in that way. And understand this. This is how God sees it. Well, I don't see it that way. Fine. You don't see it that way. But, when you stand before God, God sees it this way. He's telling you here this right here. Do not pick up the things of the world. When you do and try and pass yourself off as just a happy-go-lucky Christian, I'm blessed of God, highly favored. God is doing all these things for me. He says it's hypocrisy. And so that's, that's what I left off there. I meant to go back and do that one. Thank you.